So if you would open to Philippians 1. Philippians 1, beginning in verse 1, Paul writes, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, uh, for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers uh, with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So we're going to do a, a little bit of a review and then also cover some things that we didn't quite get to in these first seven verses uh, when we were going through it last week. So uh, I've made, uh, so the notes that you have are a combination of both the, some of the things we covered last week, so you could have them if you want them, uh, as well as some things that we're going to be looking at um, tonight. So again, remember that we read from Acts 16, uh, where basically we saw the beginning of the church at Philippi, uh, where we saw Lydia and many of her friends coming to know Christ as Paul basically reached out to them at the riverside and, and um, uh, gave them the gospel. And then we came to the story to where there was that one lady that was uh, basically demonized, who was being used by her slave owners uh, to prophesy, uh, basically telling various things about people's futures, and they would make money off of that. And she was running around behind them and screaming, these men you know, are the servants of the Most High God, and Paul basically was getting very annoyed with that, and finally turned around and got rid of the demon. When that happened... She couldn't do her thing anymore, and so her owners got really upset. So then they went to the magistrates of the town and said, look, these guys are messing up. They're basically spreading things that we don't believe. We need to do something with them. So uh, the magistrates led basically a mob, and they came down on Paul, and they beat on him, and then threw him in prison. Uh, and then uh, that night there was an earthquake, and during the earthquake, uh, it was possible for all those who were in prison to leave, but they didn't. Because, around, because just before the, the earthquake took place, Paul and Silas, they were praying for everybody in there, and they were singing. Uh, and so when the earth, uh, earthquake takes place, the Philippian jailer, he's going to kill himself. Uh, because again, Rome ran a tight ship. And if you failed in your duty, uh, you would normally would be, would be tortured and then executed. That was just how they did things. And so as far as he was concerned, it was better just to kill himself quickly and get it over with. And then that's when Paul said, don't do that. We're all here, which really flipped out the, the jailer. Uh, and so that event combined with, uh, I'm, I'm assuming, what Paul and Silas were singing about and praying about, he then recognized all of this was because of their religion, because of their belief in Christ. And so he wants to know how he can get saved. So he basically, so the earthquake that they had, even though it was enough to free them, it didn't flatten the, the city. You know, most of the buildings were still standing. And so most likely the, the, the jailer's house was sat on top of the jail. And so the jailer takes them upstairs to his place. You remember they had been beaten. They hadn't received medical attention before. So he dresses their wounds. And then basically Paul and Barnabas explained to he and his whole family what, what they were doing, what they're about, what the gospel is, and they all come to Christ, um, uh, which is pretty amazing. And so then the next morning, the magistrates say, yeah, we need to go get these guys, um, uh, get them out of jail. So they, they came down to get them out of jail, and Paul then basically takes advantage of the situation and says, we're not going to go away quietly because you didn't know this. He didn't say all that, but what they didn't know was that he was a Roman citizen. And Rome had some particular laws about their citizens. They had certain rights. And there's things you don't do to a Roman citizen, especially if you are a Roman province. You're under the, Rome, you're under the rule of Rome. And one of them is you don't beat a Roman citizen, at least before they have a trial. You don't mistreat them. You know, they have rights. So when these guys find out that Paul is a citizen, they flip out because now they know they're in trouble. So they send word back to Paul and say, look, we're sorry, why don't you just go? 
And Paul basically says, no, 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 no. We're not doing it that way. You come down here and apologize. Well, this thing is great, you know. We always think of Paul as being a super saint, and he was. It's very much a human being. What he's doing there is not sinful. It's really cool. <laughs> All right? So he's like, you guys come down here and apologize. And so that's kind of what happened. Uh, and that, that was how this church basically began. So remember that the way that a church starts really is just a collection of believers. Believers just get together and they start to worship God and it kind of goes from there. Um, you have someone who begins to teach. Um, whoever, whoever might be the most knowledgeable or you pray for God to bring someone in and you just basically begin to establish yourself, kind of organize yourself, but it's all around Christ, around what the Word of God has to say. Um, and uh, you, you have a church because remember that when we gather on Sunday, Remember, you have, if you're a Christian, you have never gone to church in your life. You gather with the church on Sunday. Huge difference. When this building is empty, it's not a church. We can call it a sanctuary. That's, that's fine. It's a building. This is not a church. The church is us. So if this building collapses in an earthquake and we go meet under a palm tree, that's where the church is because it's us. So we need to remember that. Um, and so... Uh, you know, you don't have to have a building and all these different kinds of things to have a church. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a living organism. So that's how the church starts. And that was during Paul's second missionary journey. He had three main journeys. Um, if you're interested at all, there's lots of articles on that on the internet you can find. Uh, the church in Philippi was probably the first church ever planted in Europe. Uh, then I have for you there where it says, verse 1, it, has, it says, servant, bond, servant, slave. So there's a kind of a summary of the Greek word, which is doulos. Uh, the word doulos is translated in your Bible as either slave, bond, servant, or servant. All of those would be correct, but the most accurate really is the word slave. It's just a very politically incorrect word, um, but we really shouldn't care about that. Uh, what we care about is, is accuracy. But it is the Greek word doulos, and so there are uh, five bullet points that this basically help you or to remind us what, a, uh, what that word means, how it's used, what it's designating. And then, of course, that does apply to us as believers. When I, become, when I place my faith in Christ, I am owned by Christ. Christ has purchased me. Uh, the Bible says that. We were not purchased with gold. We were purchased with the, with the precious blood of Jesus. I was in the slave market of sin. That's why we use the word redeemed. Uh, that, that's what that word is used for. You're, you're buying someone out of the marketplace. Uh, in, in, it's a slavery term uh, to free somebody. And so we were enslaved to sin and we were freed from that. Also, it says that person existed for his master and for no other reason. Um, remember that when we say that, remember this is not to be viewed negatively. All right. So the idea then is that because we are created by God and created in God's image, God has created us in a particular way. He's given us gifts, abilities, a mind, uh, the ability to make choices. He's given us the ability to create. God wants us to live and enjoy what he's given us, which is this planet. That's what he wants. So when we are doing those things, we are doing his will. We want to think about that. When you marry someone, and once you guys are married, it is God's will for your marriage to be the second most important thing in your life. First important thing is your relationship with God. All right, when you have children, God, it's God's will for you to protect them, to feed them, to educate them, to teach them about God. In fact, that's not even the, the, the job of the church is not to teach your children. The job of the church is to supplement what you teach your children. You teach them about God, we supplement that. All right now, we can supplement it a lot, but the idea is, is that it's not that the parents never do that and only the church does that. It's really done in conjunction. That's the way that it's supposed to be. Often it's not, but that's the way that it's supposed to be. So when we talk about this idea that we exist for Christ, that's not, that doesn't mean that you just sit on a log waiting for him to tell you what to do like you're a robot. You live your life. We, we, we use the gifts and abilities that God has given us, but we do live for him. It, it's because... He's given me everything that I have. Um, so it's not a thing. As, uh, in the Gospels, it tells us that the commands of God are not heavy chains around your neck. Right? Those things are there um, to actually um, accent our freedom. 
make life good. I used to use this as an example in, in, in the jail to help guys understand because uh, a lot of times we think of rules and commands as being very negative, and it's not. So I would always ask them, because basketball is a real big thing in the jail, um, because a lot of guys can play basketball and all you need is a ball and a hoop and they have those courts everywhere in jail for these guys to, to play and kind of stay busy. So I asked them, what was it about basketball that made it fun? And so you get all kinds of answers. And of course, none of them are what I was looking for. And so I kept saying, no, it's wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. <laughs> and so when we finally got done, they go, what are you trying to get at? So I said, okay, so now let's, let's say we're gonna, play, we're gonna go to the gym tomorrow and play basketball and I'm gonna pick a team and you get to pick a team. I said, now you have an advantage because you know, in the, you know, as I said, about 60 inmates. I said, you know which guys can play really well. But to be honest, I don't really care. I'm gonna pick the biggest guys that I can see and they're on my team. So I'm gonna pick the four biggest guys. You pick whoever you want. We go down to the gym, we get it, we get it, we, we have a ref, I guess. Uh, I don't really have to have one, but we'll have a ref. And the game begins. And, you, and your team has the ball first, and you dribble down the lane, and you're coming in for a layup, and I take my arm, and I just boom, and I hit you in the neck and just knock you flat. And you go, that's a, that's a foul. I go, oh, no, 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 no. There's no fouls in this game. There's no rules. And the guys just sat there. I go, so if there's no rules, how much fun would that basketball game be? And the one guy said, well, since you just picked all the big guys, it's not going to be very much fun. <laughs> I go, yeah. I said, so, and, and how much of that game, is, how much of the game we play is going to resemble a real basketball game? Not much. So what is it that makes it fun? The rules. The rules set up the boundaries, what you can and can't do. Most of you guys kind of have a pretty good idea what it, what it is. And within the confines of those rules, how much fun is it about? It's a blast. Till you get old and you can't play no more. But the idea is it's fun. Every game you play, the rules is what makes the game fun. Um, without the rules, you have chaos. So when it comes to life, God gives us commands and rules. It's not to put a, a, a damper on your life. It's to, it, it makes life enjoyable. There's all these things out here. Some of these things can take over your life. You don't want that to happen. So here you go. This is how you conduct yourself. This is what you should do. This is what's right. This is what's wrong. And all those types of things. And so this idea then that we exist for our master and for no other reason is not a negative. It's a positive because our master is not some human being who's flawed. It's God who has no flaws. And everything he does, he says, he does it for our benefit. That's, that's a pretty good deal. You know, it's kind of like, it's, you know, the same way that a lot of kids really like their grandparents. Why? Because normally they view their grandparents as these people who what? Do everything for them. You know, we go see our grandkids. Let's go here. Because I want the kids to go. I want them to go experience this. I want them to experience that. My granddaughter, one of my granddaughters, okay, we got 11 uh, kid, grandkids. One of the granddaughters one time asked me, she said, Papa, why is it every time you guys come, we are always going somewhere. And I go, well, I want you guys to have fun. Isn't it fun? She goes, well, yeah. I said, well, do you want us to stop? She goes, well, no. I go, what's the problem? She goes, it's just exhausting. <laughs> She's like seven years old. I go, how are you, how are you exhausted? There's no way. All right, but the idea is, is, they, they, is you know, they, they love their grandparents anyway, but the idea is the grandparents, even more so than their parents to a degree, because they don't have to really do a whole lot of discipline, everything we're doing is for them, for their happiness, for their benefit, for them to enjoy. Uh, so it's not a bad deal. So we want to, you know, I'm not asking you, I'm not telling you to think about God as being a grandfather, but the idea is that he is, in one sense, on your side. He is doing these things. It is for his glory but you enjoying and using the gifts he's given you brings him glory, right? Brings him joy even in that sense, uh, as well as us. Also, it says we have no personal rights uh, because we don't have any personal rights. We don't have any inherent personal rights except the fact that we are made in the image of God. So even in our country, we talk about the inalienable rights that we have as citizens. What does that, that, that idea mean? The idea means is this, because this is where some people today get it wrong. Because some people believe 
that the government gives you your rights, and that's incorrect. See, the way the Constitution is written is it's recognizing that you already have these rights. And the basis for that is we have certain rights because we're made in the image of God. We're not, so we're not dogs, we're not cats. We have certain rights because we're made in the image of God. That puts all human beings on another level. And so as a result of that, there are certain things that, that you inherently have. And one of those would be freedom of speech, freedom of movement, you know, on and on and on, on as far as when it comes to those kinds of things. And that's because of um, being made in the image of God. So we don't have any personal rights apart from that. We don't have anything apart from that. But we have those things because that's given to us by God. So you see how it's connected to him uh, and what we have. And then, of course, uh, we are to be at our master's disposal all the time, um, which is not a bad thing. And, of course, uh, it reiterates this. The last sub-point uh, or bullet point is that we don't have any will of our own. We are completely subservient to the master. But, again, remember, that, that's all good things. That's, that's not like you're just, oh, i got to work 24 hours. It's not like that. It's much better than that. Um, so we want to make sure we're thinking about this in the right way. When you look at verse 1, Paul also says, uh, and we've, we've covered this before at different times, we want, to make, we want to make sure we have a good handle on that. So Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints. So he's writing to all believers. So once again, recognize this, that the word saint is just another word for a believer, someone who's a Christian. If you are a Christian, you are a saint. I know the Catholic Church will call someone a saint when they meet certain qualifications. But according to the Bible, the only qualification that you have to meet to be a saint is to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Because it's a, it's a, it's a title that describes your position. Okay, So my position or, or my office or however you want to say that. Uh, I am an adopted son of God. So I have been set apart by God for God. That's what the word saint's talking about. Okay, in that sense, you can even say I'm sacred. So it doesn't mean that you would worship me. It doesn't mean any of that. But the idea is, is that God has set us apart for himself. And so every believer is that person. Now, we are commanded to live like saints, and that's where the difficulties for us lie. But you don't have to do certain things to become a saint. Um, now, we normally, because of that word, we don't, you know, I, I never address Ron as Saint Ron. And I wouldn't say, hey, Dennis, have you met Saint Ron? If I did that, he would say, whoa, Saint Ron, right? Because we automatically think higher level. But technically, <laughs> that would be correct. I would say, Saint Dennis, this is Saint Ron. And then Ron would say, so you're on the same status I am. No, he wouldn't do that. Uh, but that would, so that would be correct, but we don't, we don't use that in that way. But it's not incorrect. And so we want to recognize that, um, and that's important if, in, for several reasons. One is so we recognize what you possess as a believer. And number two, so this idea that individuals do certain things to become a saint is really, it's not a Bible idea. Uh, and just so you understand this, then... There's many differences between what we would call Protestants and Catholics. A Baptist would be Protestant. But one of the main differences is this. We want to follow everything that the Bible teaches. We want to promote what it says. If we believe something that's not promoted in the Bible, then we will say, well, this is a tradition we have, but that's not in the Bible. Example, we celebrate the birth of Christ in December. We don't think he was born in December, and that's not in the Bible. We can celebrate the birth of Christ whenever we want to. It is a tradition to celebrate the birth of Christ in December. We do that. It's not a problem, all right? But, but the Catholic Church, they believe that the church itself, as an institution, and the Bible, are on the same level as far as being authorities and making certain kinds of declarations. So they say when they declare someone a saint, now that person is a saint, but you're not. But again, we would say, no, we don't believe that. Why? Because the Bible tells us. We always go back to, it's supported by Scripture. And that's what makes a difference. So that's why you always want to ask people that question. Whenever someone teaches or says something maybe you've not heard before, 
you want to ask them, well, where in the Bible do you get that from? And that's, that's a very important question uh, for us to ask individuals. So I have in your notes there uh, the Greek word for saints, which is hagios, uh, which means set apart or separated, sanctified, holy. Uh, it is Paul's favorite description of believers. It designates, as I already said, our position in Christ as being holy uh, or set apart from that which is secular or profane or evil. We are dedicated to God. Uh, we are dedicated to, to the worship of God, and we are dedicated to the service of God. So that's why we gather together as believers to worship. We're commanded to do that. We're supposed to do that. God is deserving of that. And so because we are, in one sense, saints or the holy ones, part of our responsibility is to worship God, to bring him honor, to bring him glory, uh, and to serve him. So we have been supernaturally set apart. Why? Because it's the doing of God. God does this. There's nothing, again, that we are doing to earn this. Uh, it's not that we've performed miracles. Most of us don't perform any miracles. All right? None of those things qualify us to be a saint. We are qualified by God as saints. And so that's what all those things are getting to there. Uh, we have been set apart for a special purpose. So we've been set up apart from the world, from the power of sin, um, uh, from the fallen f uh, flesh, and the dominion of the devil, and we've been set apart uh, for God and for his service. And so that's, that's what we are doing together. Um, and, and remember again that the Bible has something to say pretty much about everything in life. So, and we want to get used to that. A lot of times Christians aren't used to that, depending on your religious background. We sometimes think that Christianity, that just means I go to church on Sunday. And it, it doesn't mean that. But and it's, it definitely doesn't merely mean that. That's a part of what Christians do, but this, has, but this idea that it just means, we go to church on Sundays, it doesn't mean that. It means that we have a Bible. It doesn't mean that either. Right? What it means is, is that my life is committed to living for Him. So, and again, remember what's included. It's not just what we might think of as being spiritual things. So yes, I have been set apart by God, and God has commanded me to read the Bible, and to study the Bible, and to pray, to gather with the believers, to worship God, all true. God has also commanded me to love my wife, meaning I am to treat her as the most important woman in my life. That's what that means. I, can be, I am to be kind to all women, but I am to treat her, because she's supposed to be, the most important woman in my life. More important than my daughter, more important than my granddaughters, more important than my mother. Right? She is to be the, that, that's, what that, that's, that's God's will. That's what that means. Right? God has something about all that. God, uh, uh, so we don't have, we sometimes approach the Bible or the commands of God as if it's just a, a good suggestion. You know, people say, well, I know I should go to church. I know it's a good idea, but I'm, I'm busy. Sorry, that doesn't cut it. All right. Imagine you have a, a, a date for court, and it doesn't matter what it's for, you just don't go. So the, the, court, the judge puts out a bench warrant, and, and you get arrested, they bring you to court. And the judge says, um, you know why you're here. You missed your court date. You want to tell us why? <laughs> judge, I mean, I'm busy, man. i got stuff to do. Just so you know, the judge doesn't really care. Doesn't care. He has... Jur that court has jurisdiction over all of that. You need to be here. That's why you're now, you've been arrested. And if he doesn't like your attitude, he'll say, I'll tell you what, to make sure we don't have this happen again, you're going to stay in jail until your next court date. <laughs> then you'll find out what kind of authority he has. And that's not a good thing to find out. All right, so the thing is, is that when it comes then to understanding the will of God for your life, it covers every facet of life. He leaves no stone unturned. But again, it's for your benefit. So you have great joy in, in this world, uh, great, really, happiness. Uh, you'll have peace and uh, a sense of satisfaction and contentment. It uh, doesn't mean everything goes great, because it won't. But even in the midst of those difficulties, you will have a sense of contentment, a sense of peace, etc. Um, because God has promised that, and as we live in obedience, that is a natural consequence of that. 
So again, uh, and I have another uh, paragraph there, I think in your notes about uh, what others, which is basically what Catholics believe about um, saints, so we won't go, go into that. So going to the rest of verse 1 of Philippians, it says, because we didn't cover this either, but I was asked this afterwards, is this to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. You, you may have a Bible translation that may say with the bishops and deacons, um, but I want you to understand that overseer, bishop, elder, all those are the, that's the same thing. All those can be used interchangeably. I know, for example, in America and Europe, in some denominations, you have, they've, they've made these different, different ancients where you have a bishop is above certain people, you know, like maybe above pastors or whatever, and then they're above this, and they kind of have this whole thing level. That's not what the Bible is doing, all right? Within a church, you really have just uh, really only, actually only one office, because I don't even think deacons is an office, but anyway. So yeah, it's the office of the elder. That's, that's the pastor or the elders of the church, all right? The pattern of the Bible is there's always more than one elder at a church. You have a plurality. Um, there may, in, there's, not a, there's not really a hierarchy within that group. You may have some who are more prominent than others because of what they do. All right, so uh, hopefully by the, time this, by the time this year ends, we'll have four elders in our church. People will still see me the most in the sense because I do most of the preaching. But I'm not above the others. I'm not their boss. I'm not the boss of the other elders. The elders when it comes to the authority of the elders, it, it's a level playing field. We work together uh, for all the various purposes of the church. That's how it's supposed to be. Um, and so uh, when, when he says this, with the overseers and deacons, that's who he's talking to. Or talking about, he's writing to the church, but he's including in this the deacons, which is just another word for those who serve. That's really all, that's what a deacon is. So I know in some churches it looks like the deacons are the boss of the church, but that would actually be incorrect. They're not the boss of anybody. Uh, they have responsibilities to make sure certain things get done. But, but they're, not, they're not a boss. Uh, the elders, in a sense, do have authority, but they're not a boss in the sense of being a boss over every aspect of your life. All right, so I, 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 I do not have the right. So I do have authority in the church, but my authority is limited to telling you what the Bible says. All right? I, can even make a, I can even command you to do things if it's within the confines of the Bible. So if Lance decides he's going to divorce his wife, he's not, by the way. But if he, if he tells me, you know, I'm just tired of it, and I, you know what, I, would, I think what I want to do is I want to start all over again. So I'm going to get me a new wife and, and have a go at it. All right, so I, can, so I can say this. I can say, Lance, you can't do that. It's wrong. It's a sin. I can even say, I forbid you to do that. Now, he can say, I don't know who you are. He can say that. But I have a right to say that. He's a member of this church. I have a response before God to make sure he knows what the Word of God says. And in this instance, I am going to explain it, but before I explain it, I'm going to say, just so you know, right from the very beginning, this is not an option. You don't have an option to do this. It's wrong. It's sin. Period. And we go from there. So I, but now what I don't have the right to do, I don't have a right. Let's say he's, he's, he tells me that, you know, during the storm, you know, lightning hit close to the house and it blew out the refrigerator. And so... You know, I'm going to take Julie with me, and we're going to, we're going to get a new fridge. I don't have the right to say, oh, no, no, Lance, you need to buy a used fridge. You can't, you know, I, I don't get permission to, to, to buy a new one. Now, I know you may think it's kind of foolish, but there's been movements within Christianity through the years where there are pastors who have done that, have claimed they have that kind of response, they have that authority, and they tell people that they have a right to tell them everything in their life. And so, we want once again, we ask the question. So if I tell Lance, you can't buy a new fridge, but you got to buy a used one. He can say, so Bob, can you show me where that is in the Bible? <laughs> and I say, well, no, not exactly. All right, but, but we want to make sure there is authority with the elders, but it is limited. So when we say it's limited, it's what, the, what the Bible says, what does the Bible address? The Bible addresses, uh, this, obviously, the spiritual aspect of man, we can add to that for clarity's sake the moral aspect of man. Right? Because a lot of the commands do with the morals. Him wanting to divorce his wife, that's a moral issue. Right? That, is, that is sinful for him to do that and to abandon his family in that sense. Um, so that's who Paul is writing to. He wants to know that everyone's included. 
So with that, there's an assumption we can make, which would be a correct assumption, and that is that, when, for example, when I'm teaching the Word of God, you are under, you are to submit to what the Word of God says, but so am I. It's not that it's different for me, uh, and I'm going to tell you what you have to do. I'm, 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 in essence, telling us what we have to do. I have to live this way as well. I need to submit to what the Scripture says. There is no difference, except there is a slight difference. The difference is this. When God judges us, I am now, I, I'm not held to a higher standard. I'm really, I get real picky on certain words. I'm not held to a higher standard. So it's not a different standard for me. But I'm held to a stricter standard. Okay, There's, and that, that's important. So this is what it means. All right, so if it's a stricter standard, I guess the easiest way to describe that is then there's less mercy from God towards me when I violate his commands. So let's say, just for the sake of argument, and it's, and it's only because Lance is close to the front. So let's say that Lance has been a believer for a year. Okay, and so as a newer believer, he does whatever, and it's just, it's not a good thing. And so he's corrected, whether it's by me or whoever, he's corrected. And let's say that it's kind of a serious thing that puts maybe his family in jeopardy and can really mess things up. Uh, but it seems that God hasn't really lowered the hammer on him. Then I do the same thing. That's a whole new ballgame. Because basically, like God's saying, Bob, I know you know better. You have experience. You're teaching the Word of God, and you still do that? Boom, lower the hammer. So an example would be this. Let's say that Lance, it's horrible, but it's the easiest way to do this. That's because of the, because of the magnitude of the, of the illustration. He cheats on his wife. The bathroom gets horrible. Uh, divorce does not always follow when someone cheats. There is restoration. All kinds of good things can come out of that, even though it's a horrible event. Let's just say that it's once, obviously his wife is devastated. It's a big hullabaloo. The whole church knows. We're all disappointed. But we also love him and Julie, and we don't want to see his family destroyed because of this. We won't use the word mistake, because it's not a mistake, but he was wrong. Uh, but it's not a mistake. A mistake like it's like a, an accident. That, that's not what that is. Um, but we would pray that God would restore them, and we would all rally around and do everything we can to help to restore the marriage. And that happens. I do that. Next thing you know, I have to resign from the church. I lose my ministry. I'm losing my income. I lose my reputation. I mean, it's the hammer's coming down. Because I know. It's not that he didn't know better, but there's a greater uh, weight on me because Guys, you are, I am a teacher. It's like I'm always reviewing these things, knowing these things, living these things. And I'm supposed to be leading by example. It doesn't mean I'm perfect, because I'm not. But this idea is, there's going to be less mercy from God. God's going to say, well, you know what, folks, church? It's, it's Bob's first time. He's never committed adultery before. So y'all just need to calm down. That God's not doing that. You go right to the, to the, to the verses, and it tells you. That I should get a stricter standard. It tells you that. It tell, if I get caught, and let's just say only a couple of men catch me committing adultery, even though it's only once, they actually sin if they keep it a secret. <clears throat> That's a sin. They have a responsibility, if they're not elders, to tell the elders. And the elders have a responsibility to tell the whole church. It's not a gossip session. You know, they're not going to go have lunch down somewhere and say, guess what we know. That's not what it is. This is. It's a very sad affair, but the bottom line is, is I'm being held accountable for my action. I am, I am not getting away with this, and this is the consequence. And that's exactly what the Bible teaches. So when you talk about these overseers and deacons, I don't ever think that individuals have special privileges um, when they have these kind of positions in the church. They do have special or more responsibilities, but there's no special privileges. Now, there are privileges in this sense. So because I'm an elder in the church, because I pastor the church, I, I uh, am more 
apt to see God working in the lives of people than others because I know more about what's going on. Right, so, I, so again, we're just, we're just going to slaughter Lance tonight. So let's, say that, so, so let's say I find out that Lance and his wife Julie are having all kinds of marital problems, but no one else knows. No one knows. And so I'm praying with them, praying for them. We're going through the Bible. I'm trying to help them. And the Lord kind of brings a healing to their marriage. No one else can see this, but I get to see that. So I have this responsibility, but I, but I am also, in that sense, privileged to see God working here in really an amazing way. And there are times I can't go and share that. I can't tell anybody. You'll be wrong. Imagine if I, Sunday morning, I get up and I go, folks, I just want you to know something. God is really working in the lives of families. In fact, you know, Lance and Julie were going to file for divorce three months ago. For some people, that's all they hear. What? And no matter what else I say, all they heard was that. And I said, they were going to file for divorce because they were doing this and this and this and this. And but God is, okay, that would be incorrect in every way. Just never going to be able to share that with anybody. But that's okay. But it is a privilege, in a sense, to be on the front lines, in that sense, to be involved here in the situation and to see God work. So in that sense, there are special privileges. But it's not special privileges in the sense that I get away, or any leader gets away with things, or we get special treatment. Okay, there's none of that. That's why, for example, when we have our dinner on, on uh, Wednesday night, there's something you've never, ever heard in your life. You've never heard anyone in there say of the prayer for the food, and then say, folks, now, pastors first. When he gets his food, then you can get your food. That never happens. I, I don't want it to happen, but that doesn't happen here because I don't get special privileges, and I shouldn't. That's also why we don't have a sign in the parking lot that says Pastor Bob's parking space. <laughs> I don't even think I should have that, and, and I don't. Some churches they do. I'm like, mm. I don't like that because it just smacks of, well, then what's the next step? So it's not necessarily a sin if a church has that, but I'm, we're just not doing Alright? Because the idea is we are, really, we are the same. We're saved the same by the grace of Jesus Christ. We're all sinners who do not deserve salvation. We don't deserve it. We've been, we are the recipients of God's grace and God's goodness. God gives us all a spiritual gift. We have different gifts so we can minister to each other. Some of the gifts, people will more readily see them because they're in front of others. Others' gifts will be exercised behind the scenes. That's, just, that's how God does it, uh, and we should all be satisfied, which we will be if we're growing as Christians, and, and we, so we move forward. But within that group, there's no hierarchy. That's why you, you, you'll, never, you'll notice there's no such thing as a Baptist pope. There's not a Methodist pope. They might try, but there isn't. There's not an Episcopalian pope. They might try, but there isn't. Uh, there's no hi hierarchy. It doesn't exist. Even, even if, I go, if I go and I'm in the company of some really well-known pastors, I know some that are very well-known, uh, and they're, they are respected by a lot of people, which they should be. But when I'm in a room with them, I don't kiss their ring. I don't bow to them. Now, I, I have a lot of respect for them. Most of those guys are a whole lot smarter than I am. But that's all the, the, what we call the normal stuff. But they're not special in that sense. We're all Varying degrees in our walk with the Lord, varying degrees of ministry, uh, but there's no hierarchy. We may even, uh, there may even be a group of pastors where they, on a regular basis, ask a certain guy what he thinks. And it may be out of respect because of their walk with the Lord, how many years they walk with the Lord, and their knowledge of the scripture. Like if I'm in a room with John MacArthur, if you know who he is, I would always defer to him. Why? Because the man, he knows the Bible big time. And I know he's not right on everything he says. I know that. But I know this. Whatever he says, I need to, I need to think about it seriously before I disagree. Because he's going to say, the Bible says, or I get this from the Bible. And I respect that. Um, and so, so even within, we may have varying degrees of respect. And, and that's kind of a natural thing. But, but again, he would not see himself as, as oh yeah, in this group, I'm the guy they come to see. He's not doing that. I guarantee if he was, then we wouldn't. Uh, but that's not how it is. So we want to make sure, we'll make sure you guys understand that, that when you come to these words in the Bible, overseer, bishop, 
uh, elder, pastor, all those things. That's just, that's just the guy who has certain responsibilities um, and is highly accountable to God, will receive a stricter judgment, but he's not better than anybody else in any way, shape, or form, and there's no privileges with that. So then, again, as we mentioned last time, so we'll do it quickly. Grace to you, in, in verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The word Lord comes from the Greek word kurios, which means might, power. It, uh, it describes the one uh, who has just absolute ownership and sovereign power uh, and authority. Uh, in the New Testament, Jesus is referred to 10 times as Savior, but he's referred to 700 times as Lord. So it's a pretty important title. All right? It is designating him as being the divine one who has authority, who is sovereign. All right? So he's not like a divine one. He is the divine one, is how we would say that. Uh, Lord, in the Bible, always precedes Savior, so we have a clear understanding of, of, of who he is and what he is. Um, uh, some people say, well, the, Lord, the word Lord just means God. Well, it at least means that, but it's usually more than that. Um, again, it always carries the idea of sovereign authority and lordship. Um, so it's not just, he's, he's, it's not God in the passive sense. Um, he, is, uh, he is to be acknowledged. Um, and uh, so those, those are notes are there for you. So when he mentions here, um, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, he is drawing all their attention. Remember, he's writing to Christians. This is a, a letter to Christians. This is about the person of Christ. One of the things, I, I listened to a podcast this week, and I'm gonna, I gotta remember this so I can give the address or, or give the link to it Sunday uh, when I'm preaching. Because uh, I hadn't really thought about this, because as, as I'm working with my way through Matthew, one of the things that I'm emphasizing that I believe Matthew is emphasizing is the, uh, the fact that, that Jesus is a human being. That he, he is a real man. He is the perfect God-man. And the reason why I say it that way is because there are many individuals who, who believe there's an old label that was used by, by liberals before, and you can still find it in some books, and, and they talk about that they believe in the cosmic Christ. But they, what they normally mean by that is they believe in the idea of Christ. Now, that's, that's very unique language, which is normally spoken by a non-believer, just so you know. Uh, and what they're moving away from is the precision of, of what the Baba gets to when it, when it comes to who Christ is. And they, they are doing that because it moves them away from this idea that he is sovereign, he has the right to, to command how we live our lives, that he's a real historical person. Uh, it messes with what we believe about the resurrection, not just the resurrection of Christ, but our resurrection, and it goes on and on. And within today's society, um, if you follow what's going on both socially and in politics and in institutions, uh, there are certain words that are always be thrown around, and one of them is this idea of you know, people may say, "Are you woke?" or "I am woke." They use that word. Uh, there's a whole philosophy, but that's behind all of that. And uh, critical race theory is part of that group. And there's and there's and then along with critical race theory, there's actually queer theory and so on and so forth. There's a lot of that stuff that's out there. And the problem with, well, the, the, the difficulty with all that is as, as people try to embrace all of this, the only way you can do that if you are going to maintain some kind of Christianity is change Christianity. Got to do it. You have to change Christianity if you want these things to be together like this. And that's what's happening. There's always been an attempt by those who are what we call more liberal to diminish the person of Christ, the divinity of Christ, or the, histor the historicity of Christ. He was this real individual who lived, died, was buried, rose again. And they're always trying to, to kind of muddy the water and say, does it really matter if you believe the specifics of that? It's just there's this idea that Christ rises again to give us new life. So you rise again to give new life now because they don't believe in a future as, as, we, as we would believe in a future. And so... When we come back to then when the Bible uses some of these, this language where you have these titles and, again, Lord Jesus Christ. Is, is it really necessary for them to say the Lord Jesus Christ? How come we just can't say Jesus? Well, a lot of times it does say Jesus. 
but it keeps coming back to some of those things because it's trying to emphasize the reality of this of the perfect God man he really did exist he lived on the earth there is historical evidence for that even many liberals have admitted that but there's once again another wave of individuals who are trying to move away from it so that so they deny it but they don't want to get into the history, the, the history of it. They just say, well, no, that's not really important. It's just the idea of Christ. And it makes you feel like you can have a new beginning. You've been an alcoholic for 20 years, and now you overcome that because, you know, you can have a new life like Christ. So here's the thing that's, that's important about all of that. You may have a lot of friends who call themselves Christians, who use a language we use, and they don't mean the same thing. They may not be Christians. They may even say, I believe in Christ. And they, they're not Christians. Because the way they define Christ, is, it's different. That's why it, may, it might even be more important for us. Because so, it used to always be this way. The common thing, at least many Christians do this. So if I just meet Matt in the street, we're just talking, whatever. And Matt says, oh yeah, Bob, I hear you're a pastor. I go, yeah, I am. He goes, well, I, I believe in God. So normally when someone says, I believe in God, I'm, somewhere along I'm going to say, well, now when you say you believe in God, what do you mean by that? And it used to be that what we would think is if he said, oh, it's, I'm, it's good to meet you. you know, I believe in Jesus Christ as well. And we would think, oh, Christian. And he didn't just say God. He said Jesus Christ. That's now no longer true. I should ask, now when you say Jesus Christ, what do you really mean by that? Because I don't know what he means by that. He, and, he, and if he says, well, you know, it's the, it's the idea of Christ. The idea of spiritual life. Now I, now I know, yeah, he's not a Christian. We got, it, we got an issue. I need to pray for him. Ask God to give me wisdom. I got to try to find a way to help him to understand the gospel and the reality of the gospel. But if he says, oh, I believe that Jesus was a real man who came from earth, came to earth from heaven. That he's the son of God. That he's divine. That he... Uh, lived a perfect life, that he died according to the scripture uh, as a sacrifice for our sins, that he was actually buried and rose again on the third day and is going to return. He has to go through all of that, and I'm going to say, this guy's a believer, because he's got it right. It's not just, just knowing those facts. That's what he believes, and that's what's important. So, once again, it's, it's almost like Christ, the person of Christ, has been under attack at different times throughout all of church history. I've mentioned to you before, there was a thing called an Arian controversy that went on for hundreds of years, where there was a debate within all Christian churches, to a degree, where they were having a difficult time trying to figure out who is Jesus. What is Jesus? Is Jesus a man? Is Jesus God? Uh, or did Jesus kind of become divine for a while and then the divinity left? I mean, what, who is this? What, what's going on? So the church was divided for a long time, and it took... 300 years to kind of get everything settled out for everyone. And so most of us, whatever you've heard in your life as a Christian, a lot of it came from that. And it's correct. But, and we all, and everyone thinks, oh, it's been settled. <laughs> it's not been settled. It was settled then. It's been settled for many of us. But it's rearing its ugly head in a different way. And so that's why then when we kind of, sometimes we pause and sometimes, you know, you might be hearing things, well, I already know all that. I already, I already know, Lord Jesus. I know that. Here's why it's being reemphasized, because it's under attack again in different ways. Um, and so we want to make sure we're solid on that and don't make these assumptions. One more thing before I finish up. One of the, another reason why that's important is this. In any church of any size, unless it's a church of like 30 people, um, if, if a church is bigger than that, you, ha you have more than just the pastor teaching. You have other people who teach Sunday school, other people who teach Bible studies, all kinds of things. So along the way then, uh, we need to know what they believe. And so if Lance again joins the church, and Lance has been here for a while, and I'm interested in him, and I go, you know, I think Lance might be pretty, we got, a, we got some really rowdy middle school boys. I think, I think Lance could do a pretty good job of that. But Lance is this guy who believes in the cosmic Christ. Man, we're going to have a problem. All right, he might get the boys to sit and listen, but they're listening to the wrong thing. So it's important that I know that he has a good handle on who Jesus is. And so it's not some minor thing, because there's other people in the church who are teaching, 
and leading people and can easily lead them astray. Because the assumption will be the parents bring their kids to middle school, Sunday school. Well, Lance is teaching. So the church, Bob, must think Lance knows what he's talking about. So they, they're not going to sit in that class and evaluate. I'm going to listen to Lance for a couple weeks, make sure he's got it right. They, they can. They're welcome to do that. But they normally won't. And he starts filling their head with all kind of mush. So all those things, and again, it, it, it becomes important. Um, so when it comes to Christianity, and we, we start asking about words, and people to define words, we're not looking for a fight. We're not, we're not trying to stir up trouble. We're not trying to be arrogant. Uh, we want to be correct. We do want to be precise. Uh, we want to make sure that we all are on the same page, believing together what the Bible says about these many important things. There will still be things we disagree on. And it's going to be okay. We don't have to be enemies. But there are actually several things we must agree on. There's there's no way to get around it. Because if we disagree, somewhere along the way, something's not Christian. It's not what God has given us. Uh, And that's why uh, all those things are important. So anyway, that's just kind of of a... Wasn't exactly a quick review, but um, we will uh, we'll move a little quicker next week. But I just want to make sure you guys had a good base for understanding what was going on here as we deal with this letter, uh, and because we read these things that we're familiar with, but they actually all have a good deal of meaning, and there's reasons why Paul writes it the way he does. Because again, it's not just for the people in Philippi. Remember, this is the word of God. God was obviously very much aware that this was going to be preserved for hundreds of years for people who were born hundreds of years after, after Paul, and all these people in Philippi have been dead for hundreds of years, and it's going to be applicable to us. Because uh, truth doesn't change. And so we need to make sure that uh, we then recognize that then all these words, phrases, and sentences and paragraphs were, were written the way they were written and preserved by God for a reason because of what they do mean and what they do teach. Let's pray. Father in heaven, again, we thank you for your goodness, grace, kindness, and love. We do thank you, Father, for the precision of the word. We ask you to help us to uh, always seek to understand what the word says and to realize that it's not really a burden, that we do want to have it right because of all that you've done for us. Uh, It's truly phenomenal when we think about the fact that you've created us, about the gifts you've given us, and then, Father, to know that uh, as human beings, we've all turned on you and yet you have saved us by your grace and continue to bless our lives. And there are many wonderful things to come in the future uh, that you have on hold for us uh, until that specific day arise, arises. And so, Father, we are uh, immensely thankful. We ask now, Lord, that you would dismiss us with your grace, that you would watch over us, that you would keep us safe, and that, Father, you would use us as you see fit to bring honor to your name and to bring joy, comfort, and truth to others. We do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.